Hi, welcome to the Reference Counting Podcast. I'm Taylor Hutchison, joined by my co-host Andy Collins. Andy, how you doing? Hi, Taylor. Doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing okay. What have you been uh, working on? Well, I tell you what. I um, I graduated another class. Congratulations. On uh, Friday. I say I did it. I mean, honestly, they did the vast majority of the work. But I was there. I was present. Um, I tried to tried to to lead them through uh, learning some C sharp and um, some web API and a little bit of MVC and you know sort of how to put that all together into a full stack web application. Mm. And and you know um, a few weeks ago I was talking to one of the students and she asked me about podcasts and I thought maybe I should tell her that I have a podcast. <laughs> I mean, no, and, no, I'm not going to do that. I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply modest. That's what I'm really. I'm known for mm. my modesty. Um, That's true. I'm, all, I'm often praised for it, actually. And, um, but I didn't. I didn't say anything. And then, the best thing that happened that could have happened was, the uh, the class actually discovered the podcast on the last day. Oh wow! Yeah, so I gave them the advice that uh, you know we need it, googling is a really important or, or web searching. Um, I think I did convince many of them that DuckDuckGo is a good choice through through the course. But uh, searching for things is a good skill to have as a developer, right? And one of the ways to practice that is clearly, you know, cyber-stalking, right? Yeah. And so then they started cyber-stalking me and the other instructor in the class and uh, found some things about us. And one of the things that they found out was this podcast. They may be listening right now, like all of them gathered around a phone. (laughs) Well, now, I mean, uh, there's going to be some type of passing of the torch. You know, I assume that they will tell other students and now you'll be um, forced to live up to the, the fact that this podcast exists. Uh, not, um, not on the last day of class, but on the first day. Well, maybe so, but uh, we're still remote. And so one mm. of the downsides of being remote is that the, the students don't get to kind of congregate and associate between classes, between cohorts. But one of the positive sides is that they don't get to talk to each other about things either, right? So we're going to kind of take advantage of the fact that the next to the next class, I'm just a mystery. Uh, now, I usually take over in the in the in the middle of the course. So the the previous instructor who teaches kind of the JavaScript front end stuff, they usually sort of make up a lot of lies and rumors about me. Yeah. So you know, the class has some idea about me going in. Uh, and then it's kind of my job throughout the course to, to like make them wonder if they were really true, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's part of how we have fun as instructors, you know. Yeah, the um, memetics, you know, passing of the the uh, the funny things or the the odd things about your your teachers uh, will find a way. I, I assume, even though they're not able to congregate, I, I think that information will get there somehow. It may. It may indeed. Maybe it'll wait. Once again, uh, if I wait and teach them about the, the benefits of cyber stalking until towards the end, maybe. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Um, okay, so we're in the middle of May, but I have to ask you, um, is April 16th uh, an auspicious day to you? Does it ha- hold any significance? I mean, it's usually the day... That I remember that I was supposed to file taxes. <laughs> right. Right. That's Yep. Okay, that's one of the three things that I have here. Oh, oh is this a quiz? 
This is a, well, it's not necessarily a quiz. Mm. There's no not going to be a score. I was just curious because um, you know there's three kind of important things uh, about that day. And remembering that you missed the the taxes deadline, although not this year. I think they extended it. Yeah, to actually, the day that we're recording right now on May seventeenth. Uh, just to, to walk us in time for for a moment is actually tax day of this year. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I might I might bleep out when you say the date so people the the mystery remains. You literally said mid May already. <laughs> I like some ambiguity. <laughs> okay, so uh, you're right about the tax day. Um, you might not own up to this, but this is the 14th anniversary of you getting the Opera browser tattoo. Oh, of course, of course, yes. Yeah, I remember that quite well. So you were you were big into Opera. I mean, it it was the it was the browser for my Windows phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I I admittedly thought Opera was gonna be much a much bigger deal than than it became. So quite sad to see it kind of fade off into the sunset. So I know around here we talk about our our kind of part of the country, part of the world. They say that you shouldn't actually plant anything in the ground until the 16th of April, right? How about that? Mm. That's not on the list, but I, that sounds that sounds pretty good. You get a late freeze sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. With, uh, with climate the way it is, who, who knows if that date needs to be adjusted. That might have been true in Benjamin Franklin's day, um, but we might need to reevaluate that now. Yeah, you can just plant stuff whenever you want now. <laughs> Okay, so actually, April 16th, 2021, this year, was the 50th anniversary of the file transfer protocol, FTP, being proposed, kind of getting out in front of other people. Um, So I personally thought that was amazing. I couldn't believe it was 50 years old. And I just wanted to spend some time sort of reflecting on FTP and, and kind of going through some of the history of it, because I found that to be, um, you know, per- personally meaningful, just because I have a lot of, uh, I've used FTP quite a bit. I assume a lot of our listeners have used FTP, um, whether they knew it or not. And so I just thought we could spend a little bit of time going through that that history. So 50 years, huh? 50, half a century. Yeah. So so when FTP was being formulated, there were like first wave hippies. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. First wave. Uh, So it was 1971. Uh, I'm not sure when. Yeah, I'm not an expert in hippie culture, but um, there was definitely hippies in 1971. I don't know what when first wave, second wave. I'm pretty sure the things. first wave of hippies, you know, started in the mid '60s and went into the early '70s, and then mm-hmm. the second wave was in the '90s, okay. right? And then and they just okay. kind of get watered down and, and a little bit less hippie. You know, they, they, it's more about it's more about the pants, right, and the and the clothes <laughs> right. now, and having you know, like an excuse to smell weird. I think now. <laughs> it- <laughs> It's not so much about ending the war or anything anymore. It does take about 15 to 25 years for fashion to sort of echo back. So that makes sense that it would have taken uh, you know, to the 90s for them to, to come back. So, so there were hippies um, when this was happening. Now, I suspect that the people creating FTP were not hippies. 
I I don't know. I think that they were probably hippies in the circle. Um, I, I think that uh, there was certainly counterculture. You know, there was cer- certainly hacker culture. Um, I, I guess it depends on how strict of a definition that you're uh, of hippies you're using. Um, it was a time when, um, and and I feel like it's it's definitely been in our lifetimes that this has changed. But it was definitely a time in you know 1971 when there was a huge divide between people who understood computers and were in that world and literally everyone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, everything was was analog. You know, there was no, there, I mean, computers were not a thing. Like computers were, you know, something maybe you saw on like a science fiction movie and then you heard about happening somewhere else, but that was not a thing. Maybe you saw, you know, I don't know, Ted Koppel talking about them. Or actually, Ted Koppel wasn't around yet. Walter Cronkite probably talking about computers on the news, right? Right. Yeah, I think it was still a time when colleges, you know, universities were were not necessarily offering computer courses. You would go study math or electrical engineering, and that's how you would get into computers. It was sort of before there was a very clear, defined path to be to say, you know, I want to be a computer professional. It was sort of still held up in other departments. And it was very much like you were a, you were just a straight up nerd, right? <laughs> I mean, you're not... Well, I'm not sure. Is that not true today? I don't, No, I don't think... Well, no, I don't think so. Because people like to call themselves nerds today because they like these sort of classical, traditional nerdy things. But when nerd becomes mainstream, you know, you lose some of the force of the term, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, if you can be talking... If you can be, like, playing a game or, you know, doing something with a, a computer or some kind of device... Or talking about learning to code while you're at like the high school caf- in the high school cafeteria and other people are sitting at the table with you, then you're not a nerd. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you got a great, you got a very clear definition. That's right. I like that. Putting your foot down on that. So, um, well, I know when I first got into web development, uh, I was doing a lot of PHP, and FTP was you know my go-to for, for deployment, right? Like I was developing locally on my machine and deploying directly to production with FTP. Did you have a similar experience? I have had that experience. There's been a handful of, of protocols in my career. My earlier career has been a while, fortunately, but, um, FTP was definitely one of them. And, and then, uh, you know, we did a little F or SFTP. I don't know if we're going to talk about that at all, and some a couple other more secure versions of that. Mm-hmm. I did use WebDAV for a while, and if you remember that one, oh yeah, that one was terrible. That was a terrible experience. <laughs> um, but yeah, that generally using FTP to push stuff up to production, and 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 then you know then testing it really quickly, hoping nobody's on the site, you know, until you can test it, and then. You realize right. it's totally broken, and then you push the fix up again, and you just kind of repeat that cycle a few times until you get it right. Yes, yeah, I've been exactly. there. That's where PHP really shined because there was no compilation step. You just change the the file that you know the offending file, push it up, refresh the page, and oh, thank goodness you fixed the fixed the site, and hopefully no one saw it. I never did that with. I don't know. Maybe I have done that with PHP. I definitely have done that with PHP actually. Did it with ASP in the old days too. Yeah, ASP yeah. for sure. Same same story, yeah. same exact story. So, um, 
Yeah, so I don't know. FTP, it, it, I did, had no idea how old it was at the time. I uh, just, I at that time, I didn't even think about the history of computers. You know, I was just trying to make money and, and have fun being a web developer. That's interesting because, yeah, it just seemed like this sort of thing. This is the tool that you use. I never asked that question right, either. exactly. I, like, where did this yeah. tool come from? Like, I don't know. Here it is. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it was already on my laptop, and I... I'll just use. It I mean, I've never, minutes. I've never really considered, you know, how hammers got, you know, became a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I would love to see some history book on like benign everyday equipment. Like, what's the history of rope? What's the history of the ladder? You know, does it? <laughs> well, I presume there was a time before ladders, and then someone had a bright idea. Have we? Has anyone documented that? I, I don't know. That'd be kind of a fun read. But FTP is sort of, to me, like one of those fundamental things um, that that has certainly been in my toolbox for a while. It's like the rope or the ladder um, in there. So you've been looking into FTP. Yeah, I uh, I saw that date uh, come across and I and I was decided to kind of uh, pull on that thread a little bit. And I, I ended up reading a few things that I found interesting. Uh, so I kind of have a Wikipedia level <laughs> knowledge of this. Uh, not all of this comes from Wikipedia, but that kind of summarization level. I uh, didn't go read a book or, or talk to any first uh, person sources. Some of these people that were, you know, that are going to be running through this thread are, are no longer with us, but some of them are still alive, um, in their seventies and eighties. So it's, it's both kind of the history feels uh, far away, but also it's still kind of amazingly present. Um, I don't know, maybe the older I get, the more I appreciate the fact that, that, uh, this wasn't actually that long ago. You know, the stuff that we're talking about in 1971, 50 years ago, it really wasn't that long ago. No, it really wasn't. And, and I think you're right. As you get as you get a little older, you start to appreciate that more. Um, you know, it's interesting how longer stretches of time, the further away we get from a particular date, the the sort of closer it seems in a way. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I think that is an it's a that's a an example of what we've seen or what we talked about before in this podcast or this show is um, this sort of telescoping effect of history. The the fact. Mm-hmm that the, the technology that we're using is evolving so rapidly that several generations of technology happen, you know, in a decade, right? Exactly, yes, it feels like it. And so it feels like uh, ancient history, but there's the people who are there, some of them are still alive. Yeah. And you wouldn't ever say that about, like, construction, you know? You wouldn't say that about aqueducts, right? Aqueduct <laughs> technology did not, like change rapidly throughout like one person's lifetime yeah that's a good i like that i'm gonna use that i'm gonna steal that and claim it my own um okay so the central character in this is a is a man named abe bushan uh he's an indian chap um i think he was born in sort of right before the end of world war ii uh, kind of 19 late 1944 time frame 
And he was born in sort of northern India. I believe it's Uttar Pradesh. Um, not really super familiar with the area. I know that's where the Taj Mahal is, and uh, that's about the extent of my information on that. But that's uh, where he was born, and he goes to a school in that same area called the Indian Institute of Technology. And I believe he's studying electrical engineering. Uh, and some uh, time around 1966, I think, he, he graduates from IIT in India and makes his way to MIT to continue studying electrical engineering, getting, getting his master's in electrical engineering. And I believe he also goes and does something with management at, at MIT. Um, and so while he's there, you know, like the, the, the 19s, the kind of mid to, to late 60s in MIT, a lot of interesting things are going on at MIT, right? Um, and so he gets sort of involved in, in that computer world of them trying to connect these computers and networking. And, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the, the other things, the, the big things that are sort of going on during that time. Um, but he... He comes up, he writes up this proposal for FTP and, and puts it out there uh, for people to respond to. And that's that's the 50-year sort of mark, right? He has this idea of how to uh, work with files across different computers, and he puts it up for, for people to read and comment on. Uh, so that's the 50-year the celebration. Um, at that time, they did have a proof of concept going um, but it really sort of, it was still in an early stage at that time. It wasn't like a, you can go to FTP.com, not that that existed at the time, and download something. It was more of the protocol proposal. So this is really interesting to me because, I mean, there's a problem that, that they're trying to solve. You know, you've already mentioned they're trying to connect all these computers. But I mean, specifically the problem is there's a there's a file, or or maybe more accurately, there's some data that's on mm-hmm. on one computer and they want to get it to another. I guess I just sort of imagine, you know, looking at one computer and just sort of wishing the files were on another computer. And then, you know, you, what do you've got? You got like a tape, like a reel to reel tape is your choice, right? That's your, that's your sneaker net before sneakers. Really. That's like your, that's just your barefoot net. Well, a part of the proposal actually defines even what a file is. I found it kind of hilarious to read this um, this thing that he had written, and he was, you know, uh, putting things in in quotations now that we wouldn't put in quotations, like listening on a socket, for example. The idea of listening to a port or a socket or something like that was was a new concept. That having to define a file is sort of like a logical set of, you know, uh, ordered bits, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of funny that like these were, you know, the file was a new concept. Um, but that, that is part of the problem that he was trying to solve is that, um, the, the, the file systems were different amongst all these computers. The storage mechanisms were different. Sure. You might have reel to reel on one set of machines, but that not, not necessarily what the others were using, uh, magnetic drums or something like that, uh, for, for a different system. So those so just kind of, those early machines, they were all sort of they were they were like artisanal computers, right? Uh, yeah, maybe not artisanal. So they like, they were they, bespoke machines. They, yes, they they had 
it is an interesting age of computers. I mean, so this is like the tail end of the transistorized kind of computers that right before the dawn of like the integrated circuit based computers, right? So uh, the things that I think that, that, that um, Abe Bouchon would have been around are things like the PDP six, uh, the PDP 10, you know, sort of the cursor to the famous PDP 11 that sort of kicks off the Unix age. Um, some other computers called the GE 635 and GE 645. So that like the GE is General Electric, right? This is when General Electric and Honeywell made computers like before they got into like thermostats. Or I guess maybe they were into thermostats then, but before they got out of the sort of uh, mainframe game. Yeah, I mean, they were building electrical electronics, things that were powered yeah. by electricity, refrigerators and ovens. And so it's natural exactly. to just say, well, let's build a computer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just a slightly bigger <laughs> refrigerator. I mean, they probably used, I, I would be curious to know like how many parts from the refrigerator assembly line made their way into the computer assembly line. How much crossover was there? I mean, there, there are certainly, there must, there must've been, you know, I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a natural step. It's like, Oh yeah. And it's funny. Now we're putting computers back into our refrigerators. It's kind of this tick tock. Yeah. Um, sort of like the, the little the air the the time in the middle when they were separate things <laughs> exactly really yeah, let's that. Go back to that yeah so um, just kind of an interesting age of computers um, but that was part of the problem I think that he was trying and others were trying to solve is like yes artisanal in the sense of like each one is a little bit different um, sure they might look the same but actually in fact they honestly all look different to me they're not like the generic steel, uh, cold steel looking laptops that we have today that all just look the same. Well, I mean, but in fact, like the way they worked was different. Yeah. And, and at the hardware level and the software level, right, you had to basically mm-hmm. a piece of a, a computer had to come with an operating system because there was no such thing as like a commodity off the shelf operating system. Right. <laughs> or the idea of like you choosing your own operating system was, was, uh, foreign concept right yeah they were very tightly uh integrated so so i don't know this is a little bit after the the this date but it's still really interesting you know i want to get it out there's a book uh called the soul of a new machine have you ever heard of this i haven't you should check it out it was um it was written in the early 80s about uh, Data General, about the process of uh, Data General was one of those other companies building uh, computers in those days. It was kind of the young upstart company, mm-hmm. um, and this is a it's a nonfiction book, but it kind of follows the the stories of the the players that were involved in building this new computer. Uh, and it was written, it was I think it was published in eighty one, so it was kind of basically the seventies is what it covered. So starting in this time frame and then going you know in, towards nineteen eighty. I mean, it's just a really fascinating story about, you know, like you said, cutting corners, you know, trying to find the right parts, finding things that work and finding, uh, you know, building the operating system. And then they're working on the operating system on the microcode, you know, that runs on the processor. So not even the operating system, really running, writing the microcode while they're currently building the computer and they're competing with each other because they would you know, break each other all the time, you know. It, it's it's a really it's a really worthwhile book. I mean, it won some sort of awards in those days too. So, I highly recommend it. The Soul of a New Machine. It's a, it's a yeah, I'll check that out. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just a little bit more about the operating systems. 
I think that that is something that the the researchers at the time sort of recognized because this is the era when we have the Multics system being developed, right? So this is like time sharing operating systems, for, you know, for mainframes. So multiple users could be logged on at the same time. Um, Multics being sort of the precursor or or the strong influencer maybe of of Unix. Um, now, maybe I'm wrong about this. You can correct me because you've done all the research and I've just been sitting around. But um, now, I've heard Multics. Multics was the MIT project, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically had, you know, essentially unlimited funding. Uh, I did read about their funding structure. I mean, they were DOD funded. Uh, I never saw the words unlimited, but I did see tons and tons of money. I think I've heard it described like Unix versus Multics as this sort of like the first time we did waterfall versus agile. The first time we did sort of like you can unlimited resources versus really constrained resources and how sort of the agile constrained resources world won out. Hmm. You know, interesting. I did not see that, um, but what I did kind of see is there. So there was Multics, right, which was a very complicated but powerful system. Uh, it had a lot of capabilities, um, and then there were several sort of responding operating systems being developed. And the biggest one was the incompatible time sharing system, or ITS. I think it was sort of a play on words because there was another operating system called the compatible time sharing system. Um, this is the kind of humor but, that they had in those days. Exactly right. This is They laughed and laughed for days about this, uh, this naming. I had to research it because I had no idea why someone would name something an incompatible time sharing system. Um, but what, what I find really interesting is that the, the ITS operating system was supposed to be this response to Multics um, because Multics was seen as being so complicated or a behemoth and over, you know, just overly complicated in ways. ITS was meant to be a simpler system, and it really appealed to like the hacker culture in and around MIT that just wanted to get things done. So to kind of... Um, Give an example. Multics has a very complicated access control list uh, mechanism. Maybe it's not complicated by today's standards, but then you know, deciding who can see, who can write to, who can you know, do various things with files. Um, that was a big part of Multics. Whereas ITS had no concept of an access control list for files. Like if you were on the system, you could basically see and do anything. But that they didn't care about that. The point was to get on a computer and get out of the way and, and do fun things or do interesting things. Well, then that was a world where even though they were really just trying to connect things, right? They were there. There was no internet that you were plugging into and running a risk that you know of having some malicious software or any kind of malice, right? Everybody was on the same team and everybody was connected and they knew each other and they might prank each other or whatever, but they weren't. <laughs> I mean, even if some malicious person got on there, what could they do, <laughs> right? You know, right. It's, yeah. you know, you're not storing your banking information on this uh, on this ITS machine, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it was still was basically like a lot of researchers, um, either trying to discover things about computers themselves or trying to do some you know other type of science using computers. So you had this kind of hardware that's all sort of spread out and different. Uh, you have these operating systems that are all different. And also in the background is ARPANET, 
um, you know, the, the forerunner, one of the forerunner technologies to the internet. And so there was just this, um, wellspring of effort to get all of these different things to talk to each other, uh, whether they're in the same, uh, at the same university sitting right next to each other, or like with ARPANET, you know, geographically dispersed. That was sort of, I, I get the sense that that was the, the challenge of the day of the late sixties, early seventies was like, we got these different systems spread out. Let's get them to talk. So that was like a, a DOD thing, a military thing too, right? ARPANET. It, it was. I think um, from my research, a lot of people seem to believe that sort of the, the impetus of ARPANET was to be able to build a system that could survive a nuclear fallout. And it, it seems like that's maybe a bit more of a myth. It was really about... Uh, making it possible for researchers to use other systems that aren't, um, you know, th they might be in Kansas, but they really need to use a system that's uh, in California. How can we make that possible? It was so much more about enabling research than it was about a surviving nuclear war. So it was like, it was about telecommuting. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. These people were already thinking about work from home back in the seventies, you know, but, but they were talking about working from the farm. You know, they didn't want to have to leave the, the homestead. Or they didn't want to have to leave uh, the missile silo that they were <laughs> stationed in. Possibly. Yeah, exactly. So all of this is going on. I mean, what a fascinating time. We can really probably pick any one of these things and do a podcast episode on it. It's just fascinating that FTP is sort of running through the center of all of these things. <clears throat> So um, another kind of aspect uh, that I that I saw in all of this was it was really an age of protocols. It was an age of saying, hey, all these disparate things, we need to get them to talk. And there is an infrastructure problem with that. Right. There's like pure electrical engineering problems with that. But there's also we need to agree on the language that we're going to speak. Uh, so you see a birth of a lot of different protocols during this time, um, and FTP being is one of them. So this is really, it's really interesting to me. It, uh, it reminds me of of the railroad. You know, the railroads mm. in this country, yeah. where in the early, the very beginning of the railroad, there were all companies had their own gauge, their own their own tracks, and they were not compatible, right? And I've heard mm -hmm. stories, I guess, that if a train wanted to change to one of another company's tracks or they would literally have to like replace the undercarriage of the of the car or whatever so they would keep going on the track because, you know, it was, you know, a few inches wider or narrower or whatever. And right, it was, right. you know, it was a real innovation to find a, to, to kind of settle on a standard. And that's the yeah. same kind of thing. I mean, that, that, that sort of thing happened uh, in the telegraph world too, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I wonder if sort of the failures or the struggles with the railroad um, kind of influence the, the telegraph that, that influenced the telephone. And by the time we get to the 70s with computers, they're like, well, let's make sure we don't make the railroad mistake. Like it was known that having a agreed upon protocol – was the way to go and sort of maybe having the DOD influence and fund a lot of this stuff, they can say, 
you know, whoever has the DOD's ear can kind of say, this is the protocol we should be using to facilitate this. I guess if you're really looking to find a set of rules to live by, then asking the military to support that is probably a good call. They seem to like, they it, like the rules. It'd be the most effective. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... So Abe Bouchon's at MIT. He's thinking about files. He's thinking about files on other machines. I assume, you know, this is 1971. I assume there's some, like, Credence Clearwater revival playing while he's writing this. See, this is what um, I'm saying. There were, there were two different worlds in those days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, no <laughs> MIT nerd was or... listening to Credence. <laughs> Well, that'll remain a mystery. We unfortunately don't have the answer to that. I guess we could write him because he's still alive um, and, and ask him what he was listening to. Um, somewhere, someone was playing CCR, I assume. Um, so he comes up with this protocol that he believes is going to solve this problem of how do I interact? I'm on a, a GE 645 uh, running... You know, the ITS, you know, the incompatible time sharing system. I need to speak to a PDP-10 that is running uh, Multics. How do I how do I interact with that file system? So this is not really just a problem of, like, how do you agree on the bits and everything. You, this is where you were talking about you have to agree on what a file is. Is that right? Because... Some, at some point in that process, you're going to have to transform the way a file is represented on one machine to the way it's represented on the other machine. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. So you do need to agree. Well, to, to, to some degree, I guess. So the, the, there, there's two kind of stated things that they want to be able to transfer. They want to be able to transfer ASCII text, right? Uh, and they want to be able to transfer binary like images, um, now there's there's ways to extend FTP and they say okay here here's some possible other things you might want to exchange and here's how you should present that as is what you're exchanging but you're right like not necessarily what is a file but how is a file stored on those systems because I mean depends on uh, in certain systems an ASCII character might be stored as like seven bits with the eighth bit uh, zeroed out. Um, other systems might store them, you know, in a, in a different way. Okay. So, so I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have to, you just help me understand something. Cause I remember like in 2005, let's say sitting at my computer at work, um, and looking and doing some FTPing of something somewhere. Right. And thinking like, why do I have this ASCII mode and binary mode? Because it always <laughs> seemed weird to me. Why, why don't I just, isn't binary sufficient, right? Yeah. That was what I always oh, asked that myself. That was built into the, the spec. That was built into the, the, the protocol in, in, the, in 1971. Well, but it's not it's, sufficient if the files are, if text, if characters are stored in different ways on different machines, then just transferring right. it by, you know, bit for bit is not enough, right? You have to do some kind of translation. Right. Nowadays, it might, it might not be as big of a deal, although, I mean, I'm sure like you could find some incompatible operating systems or whatever it is more and more things kind of standardized around the right way to store various things. But yeah, you, at the time, you couldn't just say like, well, this is binary, just accept it and write it into a file and keep whatever extension it has and, you know, whatever, we'll figure it out because your system literally might write it differently to disk. 
and you just say like, hey, this was a message written in ASCII on my machine. You need to write it in ASCII on your machine, however you write ASCII. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I, 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 I just have this memory of thinking like, I feel like binary would be enough, but I didn't understand. You have you have enlightened me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was definitely not something that is obvious from the get go because I think we have a habit of saying, well, everything's you know ones and zeros, and so why is not everything just transferred as binary? Like calling out something as being transferred in binary seems redundant to me. Um, but I, yeah. Well, I mean, and you're really, you're cause you're not really transferring the file. Really. You're transferring right. the information in the file. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, and, and the information is, it, it's not the same as the way it's stored on disc. Yeah. It gets kind of crazy if you keep thinking about it. <clears throat> so, in his sort of proposal, he has the explicit stated goal that that he wants to shield the users from understanding the intricacies of, of file and storage systems on different computers. Um, so it's not exactly spelled out, but I get the sense that, you know, if you're a researcher in some laboratory at MIT... Um, and you're around like one particular computer all day, it's a lot of work to get up and start using another system, right? You're going to need to actually like read a manual and go through some training and, and there's a ramp up time. And, and I just wonder what it was like for these people that did like transfer labs or, or you know, go to different universities and have to get used to those uh, file systems. I feel like this is something we still struggle with today in, in a certain way that, you know, we need these sort of layers of abstractions over these systems. So we don't have to relearn, uh, you know, the commands or relearn how to work a, a, a file system. I mean, but we've also live in a world now where we've sort of got these metaphors figured out. You know, we don't have, say, record-based computers anymore. It's, it is all mm-hmm. file-based. And you sort of have a, a structure, a directory structure of these things. But, I mean, you know, just moving from computer to computer can be different, or operating system to operating system now. Because you're really moving from computer to computer now doesn't mean the same thing, right? It, you can move from yeah. one Windows machine to another, and, you know, you might have you know, a different mouse or something, but it's basically the same thing. Um, Right. Yeah. I I guess that's, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have worked very hard to make that, that easy translation happen where you don't even think about it. Or like you said, the metaphors are the same. Um, There's a file system. There's a, a program that I can open and I can browse my files and there's a hierarchy to it. Yeah. But those metaphors, you know, we figured those out. The, the visual, kind of GUI mm. metaphors and the text based. I mean, it's, you know, it's vaguely similar. If, if, you, if you've been in a Linux command line and you've navigated a file system and then you move over to PowerShell or something, you know, if you go to PowerShell from Linux, you're going to be really frustrated because it's a terrible experience. But you... <laughs> I was just trying to bait you a little bit on that. Subtle, subtle just dig. Yeah, that that's good. It's fine. Um, but you're still going to have an idea. Like some, there's going to be some way to list files and some way to change directories and some way to create a new file or delete a file or move a file or copy and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah you absolutely. just you know you know the you know the things you can do. You might have to look up how to do them. Yeah. 
But it's definitely uh, a lot easier, I think, than it must have been in those days when, you know, you were doing a much lower level operate lower level operations. You might be even writing code to do things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how you even log into the system, all those kinds of things. Um, I'm sure were, were different. So. So he writes up this idea of, of how they can agree upon the right way to transfer files. And, you know, that the most of the the proposal is is the nitty gritty of, OK, here's a, a header. Um, you know, here, here are the commands that you can do, um, you know, the, the real technical pieces of how FTP would work and, and where does the data go and how do you tell that a uh, operation has been terminated or, or um, you know, how, how do uh, transactions work, all those kinds of things, which we're not going to get into because it wouldn't be very good for the podcast. But uh, he writes it up and he posts it on what I'm going to call a message board, although it certainly wasn't a message board in the way we think of it, in this thing called Request for Comments, right? So this was a thing that was at MIT back then, but is now part of the Internet Society, right? So when people have proposals, they go up into this RFC, you know, Request for Comments area for people to look at and give feedback on. And there's a lot of very famous protocols that have been uh, you know, come out of RFC, uh, Telnet, Gopher, HTTP, domain names. You know, these are things that are that originated on the request for comments. Now, I just imagine that this is like a bulletin board centrally located in the smoking area, <laughs> right? Where everybody was exactly. going to go, and they, you know, like, oh, there's the RFC board. Let's see what else. Let's see. Oh, look at this Telnet thing. I did not find a lot of information. I, I'm going to dig further because I think that's a whole interesting bit on its own. Um, you know, how how did they type it up? Where did it go? How did other people know that there was new things to look at? How did they actually, you know, this is a request for comments. Where did the comments go? Because I know I couldn't find any of com- the comments on the, the FTP proposal. Um, you know, maybe they're archived somewhere. You always hear RFC and, you know, I've, I've known for a long time that it stood for request for comment, but it's always mentioned as if it were sort of a specification mm. because that's what it still remains called. Like when it becomes standardized, that's still the label on it, right? This RFC and some number. Yeah, that's true. So things can now, I think it's much more formal. So this was, um, RFC 114, right? Now we're at like RFC 3000 or something like that, right? There's been a lot of uh, requests for comments. Now there's like uh, proposed standards. That there's all kinds of sort of levels for things approved and accepted and, and uh, historic standards. They become historic when they're like they're no longer used or no longer recommended rather, but still might be used. Like I think FTP is actually in the historic standard, but even though it's still, you know, used. Um so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. But, yeah, you're right. The RFC is still very much a thing today, although I, I just don't know where the comments go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like it's a little bit misnamed or whatever, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, there it, it is a propose at some point, and you can, you know, respond to these things. Mm-hmm. But it just, I don't know, it's just interesting to me that the official standard is kind of always abbreviated with this request for comments. Really, we're not we're not accepting comments anymore, but that's still what it's called. It's kind of the way it seems to me. Uh, me too. There's probably a you know there probably is another uh, maybe another discussion in that somewhere. 
you know, you bring up the internet society as a whole other a whole other level that I'm sure we don't have time to go through yeah. right now. But yeah, there's right. some interesting stuff in all this. You're right. This FTP is sort of like like touches on it's a thread that runs through a lot of different stories. It seemed that way. Um, so from everything I could see, sort of FTP takes off immediately. Um, it is referenced in a lot of other documents. Uh, it, it's talked about sort of in sort of when they got uh, ARPANET basically off the ground and they were having reliable communication. Um, uh, FTP is talked about as like a thing that you can do now. <laughs> you can do from uh, Utah to California. And so it seems to have been uh, pretty much an instant success implemented on a lot of systems. Um, so FTP was, was actually kind of formally revised in 1980. Uh, when it was originally written, it was using the network control protocol to sort of speak between two computers, which was already sort of on its way out, I believe, um, in, in TCP IP is the thing that replaced it. So in 1980, they said, okay, FTP needs a rewrite. Uh, and we got a we got a layered on top of TCP/IP, and then they did sort of another update in 1985, and that is still the same specification in use today, which I find quite fascinating. So that really doesn't touch on SF, SFTP, um, or other things like um, trivial FTP. Uh, you know, the other things that are sort of around FTP, uh, this is just the FTP specification that we're talking about. So, but, but FTP, you know, you mentioned SFTP, so that's, I guess, secure SSH FTP or something. Um, right. I've heard various, uh, I think officially it's SSH, um, but... I would know what someone would talk, were talking about if they said secure FTP. But that is, um, that sort of shows one of the weaknesses that I'm aware of with FTP, which is that it is like completely insecure in every way, right? I think the, yes, I think it's pretty well acknowledged that it is an insecure. Um, it actually has all kinds of flaws. Uh, <laughs> and so there, there's been... A lot of effort, you know, I think HTTP, the HTTP proposal was specifically or specifically called out weaknesses in FTP or, or sought to address them rather. Um, so I think it's pretty well acknowledged that FTP is not this great um, secure system or that it's the perfect means of, of transferring files. It's sort of like it, it got there first and it did the job and it was great for its time. So this sounds so. like you're hearkening back to the earlier part of the show where you talked about PHP. <laughs> exactly, right? It wasn't it wasn't the best. It didn't need to be the best. It it was sort of there first and it and it solved this problem and it kicked off it seemed to kick off a whole lot of other things. Um kind of paved paved the way, so to speak. And I think it it deserves a you know, a round of applause or whatever. So there were, I, I had not, I did not know this whole NCP, is that what it's called? The, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. this pre, uh, predecessor to TCP 
there may have been a time in a networking class 20 years ago that somebody that I might have known that, but I had totally forgotten it if I ever did. So that was really interesting to me. So you, you, um, you know, you, do you have any, any insight into NCP? Is that an interesting uh, tangent to go off of? I think the only really interesting piece um, that I found about NCP was this, what they called switchover day or the great switchover. I believe it was January 1st, 1983, where every system in ARPANET or, you know, the internet or whatever agreed to stop using NCP and switch to TCP IP. Wow. Um, so, so I wonder what that coordination effort looked like. I don't know how many systems were not on TCP IP. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there is a story that goes along with that. That so is maybe that's just a, a tease for, for a future episode. That's fascinating. I, I mean, like, that, that surely that was like the last time it was possible to really coordinate anything on the internet. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, they, they recognized the problem. They said, okay, we, we've got systems that are talking too many different languages. Um, and we got to switch over. So it was called the, the various names, um, TCP IP migration, uh, you know, various things, but yeah, January 1st, 1983, uh, oh, okay. Transition to TCP/IP on January 1st, 1983, it is known in what is known as a flag day. NCP was officially rendered obsolete when ARPANET changed its core networking protocols from NCP to a more flexible and powerful TCP protocol suite, marking the start of the modern internet. So that's auspicious. The thing that I really want to call out here is this goes right back to my saying that the nerds of the old days are not the same as today. Right, because that's January first. Those nerds yeah. were not partying all night. They were not hungover. <laughs> they, yes. they were straight laced. Right. They had their button up short sleeve shirts and their pocket protectors, and they were ready to go first thing in the morning yeah. on you know January first. It's a different time. Uh, yes, I think that that it is. You're right. Uh, I I I love that explanation. I think there's also kind of this old school mentality of um, like in the medieval era, if you were going to have a party, you announced it like a decade before you said in 10 years on this date, we will have a party. And, and you had that party on that date. Uh, and I, I think that that just harkens back to that mentality of we need to pick a date and who knows how long they, they announced it. You know, who knows if that was like, it, it certainly wasn't like the week before. That sure bulletin that boards across the country had had uh, <laughs> exactly. poster boards put up. Right. They they, they picked it. Uh, see, I'd love to know uh, kind of the story of that. Um, so I, yeah, so that's basically the the what I've read about uh, about FTP, um, and and honestly, just drug all of this other history with it that I just need to spend a little bit more time uh, digging into. So there was one thing you mentioned uh, earlier today that you wanted to talk about FTP. So I did a little bit of poking around and something that I did not remember, maybe I used to know. And I think this this is an artifact of it being in a pre-TCP world and actually being created, 
is that it sort of is a dual channel. Like it, re- or it requires mm-hmm. multiple ports or, or two ports at least to do be done correctly. And so that was not, I don't think that was in the original spec, but yes, that is how it gets implemented. And there is, uh, that's one of the critiques of it is that the kind of other port that gets established. So you as the client going to the server saying, Hey, um, I would like a file and you're navigating sort of the file system on the server and then you're retrieving a file. Well, that's going to come across a different port and there's, I believe some randomness to that, that port, right? It's not necessarily going to be a a well-known port to receive that file on. And apparently that causes all kinds of hell with um, networking and and natting and and whatnot. So um, yeah, if you got a firewall, if you have a firewall, right, exactly. right, you're gonna you're gonna be living. <laughs> exactly, right. So that yeah, that is one of the the well known critiques of FTP is 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 uh, firewall and networking um, not friendly. But but that's just a sign of you know it came it it was born in a world without firewalls, right? That wasn't right, even a thing. Exactly. Um, you know one yeah. one of the one of the things that. You know, back, you know, we always talk about my experience teaching people. Um, We talk about ports just a little bit. It's a really odd concept. So you just mentioned, we just mentioned that uh, FTP requires two different ports to talk on. As I recall, uh, that you initiate a conversation to port 21. Is that right? Ah, gosh, I should have. I think that's right. I wanted to say it's, it's in the 20s. I wanted to say... 23 is the secure. I wanted to say 22 and 23. So but I think 22 is SSH. I guess I used to have yeah, these memorized. Right, so I don't know what I, 23 I know, right? is. I think t- I, I feel 23 I is on the teapot, I think. <laughs> I feel ashamed. I'm definitely going to edit this out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should know. Uh, SFTP is, t- is 22. You're right. SSH. Uh, FTP port is 21 good job good memory i'll, I'll keep it in to you know make you look good. well you know you don't have to keep everything in that makes me look good um <laughs> no. well i don't worry it's actually a dearth so <laughs> happy to- <laughs> i wonder what 23 is that's another that's probably you know that's an interesting uh uh series that we could do is just like pick you know yeah. go through the ports what's on port <laughs> that's a good that's a good uh that should be another podcast what's on what's on this port <laughs> you know um, but, uh, this idea of a port, uh, and, and really actually, if you, if you take a step back even further, networks, I think are a good example. Now, then maybe this is showing my ignorance, but I really think that the network stack is a really brilliant and amazing example of abstraction that works, mm. you know? So a port, what is it? A port's not a thing. A port's just a number. You know, it's just like a, it's like a, a 16-bit number or something that right. that just that the operating system knows that that to, to make available for an individual program one at a time can bind itself and listen to a port. And when a message comes into the computer, the operating system says, "Oh, what port does it say it's going to? Oh, that's this program." Yeah, and so it really, but it's this sort of con, you know. I always, uh, I don't, I don't know how many students this connects with, but I always use the example of like a of 
of an old telephone operator, like moving, you know, uh, cables around and through different ports when they're connecting phones. So I, obviously no one has lived in that time. At least none of my students so far have, have lived in that time. Um, but, but you see those pictures of these operators just kind of unplugging and unplugging things and to connect one person to another person. So plugging into a port. But the idea is that, that that's this thing that exists, but it's really not a thing. It's just a made up. It's just a number. Um, and we, and you don't have to think about, I can send a, I remember, you know, connecting by FTP to a server and navigating a file system and just, you don't even think about the fact that there's like electrons running through cables, you know, running across some copper to, to who knows where, or maybe even across the, you know, under the ocean or you know, into the into space when you're doing these sorts of things, because the abstraction is so good, you never have to worry about it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, it is fascinating. Um, I don't know if it's helpful to anyone else, but I always think of a hotel. The hotel is the sort of IP, and the port is just a room in the hotel. I, I mean, there's so many different metaphors or ways to think about it. Um, I can see how explaining the idea of a port to a student who it's not like there's a port you can't grab it you can't like see it you can't like look it up you can't list it in your terminal i mean you can't actually but like you, you don't encounter it accidentally um you know what i mean and it, it does yeah, feel just, a little bit sort of an old-timey term to me too hmm. you know i mean a port is also where a ship goes to you know, from across from its voyage across the sea. I mean, we obviously yeah. we still have ports today, but it, it's not as it's not as as ubiquitous. You don't think about it as much. You know, you just right. you just order things from Amazon and they show up, right? Right. Um, I remembered port twenty three is Telnet. Oh, Telnet! I see. I should have remembered that. Yeah, I feel bad. I I, I played a game in in the high school over Telnet. Uh, I spent a lot of hours <laughs> on Telnet, so I I knew I used it for some reason. The best use I ever had of Telnet in the old days was uh, when I didn't have a text-based web browser, and you would just mm-hmm. like try to connect to a website on port eighty, Telnet to it, and see if you got a response back. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I don't I don't think I ever did that. That's funny though. HTTP is pretty straightforward. You just have to like say HTTP like 1.0 or 1.1 and then slash or whatever. You got to put the word get in there somewhere. I don't remember exactly. But you know, you get you get the HTML back pretty easily and you know, you might not want to parse it, but at least you know it's, you know, something's there. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. It just gives you a little thrill. Just enough and then you can log off. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm hacking now. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I hope, I hope that was enjoyable for people. Um, if you liked this and want to hear more history or, or, or want to hear one of the topics that we mentioned in this episode, um, please write us in. We are ref count podcast on Twitter and ref count podcast at gmail.com. Um, Andy, any parting words for us? This was fun. No, I, I really I enjoy kind of dipping into some of these history things. Thank you. Yeah. You need to know where we came from. Yeah, well, maybe we'll we'll uh, do it again and get better at it, and and uh, let the audience sort of guide us where 
we should go next. So I'd love to. All I'd right. love to hear well, feedback on it for sure. Yeah, I had fun too. So uh, all right. Well, I guess I'll talk to you next time. All right, Taylor.